0: Welcome to the Here and Now Motherhood podcast. Here and Now Motherhood is a nonprofit designed to support moms in their transition to motherhood. I'm your host Nicole Hunt. Welcome back to the Here and Now Motherhood podcast, everybody. We are here with Ashley, who is one of the instructors at the Center for Sacred Window Studies. Um, Ashley, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Sure. Yeah. My name is Ashley Sakashi-Wilkin, and I live in Northern California in Grass Valley, and I am an Ayurvedic practitioner and an Ayurvedic postpartum doula and a labor doula, and I have the uh, opportunity and joy Um, of getting to teach... The Ayurvedic postpartum cooking and Ayurvedic postpartum herbal food section of the Sacred Windows um, uh, curriculum for Ayurvedic postpartum care.
0: That's great. So I hear a baby in the background. So do you have just one child? Do you have a couple? I just have
1: one. I have a 10 month old. His name is Cedar. And. Um, Yeah, I'm just just the one. We're excited (laughs) for
0: Cedar to be joining us on this podcast, so that's great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about the Center for Sacred Window Studies.
1: Sure, yeah. So the Center for Sacred Window Studies is a school that essentially provides education for people, whether that's just parents or um, postpartum professionals who are wanting to understand the Ayurvedic Postpartum Sacred Window. Um, Our goal at the Center for Sacred Window Studies is to provide training and information and education for people to have um, the wisdom and the knowledge of Ayurvedic postpartum care. And we have a lot of larger, grander visions, which is that ultimately by providing this information and education to the public and to the West and to the world, that we can potentially start to shift the way um, postpartum women and birthers experience postpartum and also to start shifting um, like our maternal um, health and well-being in places where maternal mortality and maternal morbidity is not at its uh, greatest especially here in the United States we don't have a, a very good postpartum support network for postpartum people and so our goal is to start to shift and revolutionize the way that we support birthers and then ultimately hopefully to shift the way that people be people are raised in, in an environment where they're receiving that this kind of nourished care
0: So kind of like when we're caring for the mom, it's going to set up next generations. Yeah, really exactly, well. and also kind of potentially
1: right? providing the education for the previous generations as well. Because a lot of like um, people that are giving birth right now, the support that their parents had was non-existent, and so there's kind of this expectation from the older generations that because we did it by ourselves in an, in isolation, like you will do that as well. And so if people now are starting to receive this kind of care and support potentially we're starting to shift the like generational patterns from the past as well as the generational patterns um forward kind of like how in like there's that saying or belief within um some native american philosophies where when you do the healing on yourself you're shifting the energy from the past and and for the generations ahead of you so it's that same kind of idea
0: that's incredible it's totally life-changing
1: yeah exactly exactly That's why I say it's kind of a revolutionary work, ultimately.
0: Yeah, I love it. And it's like revolutionary in this really loving, caring way, which is cool.
1: Totally. It's really embodying the feminine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, For those who are listening that don't know what the sacred window is, could you explain that?
1: Sure, yeah. So within Ayurveda and Ayurvedic medicine, there's um, this thing called the kaya kalpa, and it's basically these transition time periods where there is potential for huge change and so when um women experience their first period their first menarche or menses that's one of the sacred windows when birthers have their first babies and their second and their third however many babies they have during that time period um the pregnancy is kind of it's part of it, but then the the time that the baby comes out and being in that transition between maiden and, and into mother is is a huge kahalpa or sacred window as well. And then for women, when we enter into menopause, that's another sacred window. And so again, it's just these times when our bodies are going through these relatively huge shifts and transformations. And so it's time where we like our physical bodies need greater um, nourishment and support as we undergo those transformative experiences.
0: That's incredible. Um, Even though this podcast isn't so much about menarche, or like when you first get your menses, what is the Ayurvedic way to support a young girl in that transition period?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because in most cultures where there is a strong understanding of like the divine feminine or um, understanding of womanhood in general, there is some form of ritual that's typically done around those time periods. Um, Within the context of Ayurvedic medicine, a big part of it is um, like the... uh, the daily ritual that happens when a woman goes through their period. And so like the different things that you do for your body to maintain the physical vessel that is then going through this process of having a menarche. Um, And so a big part of that is like receiving nourishment. Um, Typically women in India, historically more so in the past wouldn't be cooking during that time so a lot of their daily tasks or their household tasks would be alleviated from them um, and they would just be allowed to be in that experience of like allowing their their womb blood to shed um i don't know a lot of the historical like actual ceremonial specific aspects that were done historically in india but um in in Ayurvedic medicine, it's more about like pacifying Vata dosha and providing the space for the woman to, to instead of exerting a lot of energy to be able to be, be able to receive and release.
0: That's great. I mean, I heard someone recently say that each time you bleed during your period, it's like a mini postpartum. So almost in Ayurveda, it sounds kind of similar that you almost treat that period similar to how you would treat a new mother. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is that is correct um, because again, it's vata dosha that's being pacified typically when a woman is having her moon time, her her bleeding time, and that's the same dosha that's most elevated during the postpartum window. And so, a lot of the principles are very similar. So, a big part of that is like having foods that are easy to digest and relatively light, um, and then doing things that keep the woman warm so she's not in a state of cold when her body is in this time of releasing and in a time when vata dosha is naturally high and it's naturally cold.
0: That is so beautiful. I love that. Um, Me too. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) You're in the right field then, right? (laughs) Right?
1: Totally. (laughs) Um,
0: So circling back around to the Center for Sacred Window Studies, um, what makes it different from other Ayurvedic, postpartum doula or postpartum caregiver programs?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, there there aren't that many programs out there at this point in time. I know of maybe one or two. There's definitely one other one out there. Um, Our program is first and foremost, it's um, taught by a wide variety of women. So there's four of us that are instructors for the program who were all um, students of Isha Oaks, the late Isha Oaks, who was the founder of the Center for Sacred Window Studies initially. And um, we, the four of us, have pretty varied backgrounds regarding both our Ayurvedic training as well as our experience in the field working with postpartum people. Um, and so we all bring a little bit of of ourselves into the program. And um Gosh, you know, I haven't done that much research into the other programs that are out there, but I feel like one of the things that really sets our program apart is that we really want our students to be able to work with a really wide variety and diversity of birthing people. And so um, our language and our presentation of the information is not coming from a place of dogma, but more coming from a place of inclusion and a place of um, emphasizing the foundational principles of Ayurvedic postpartum care. Um, Ayurvedic postpartum care is still really new in the United States and in the West. And so I feel like One of the things that we try to emphasize with our students is that there's a really, really wide variety of ways that they can practice and bring this knowledge out into the world. And, um, and we ultimately our goal is to support our students in tailoring their practice to meet the needs of their community and the needs that work within their family and for themselves as well. So it's, um, I feel like our, our, educational program, as well as just the structure of our school is, um, a bit more open while, while staying true to the foundational principles of Ayurvedic postpartum
0: care. So kind of keeping those principles firm and then having the application of them be very wide. Is that correct? Yeah. Thank
1: you. Thanks for summarizing so beautifully. That's exactly true.
0: That's great. I love that because there's a lot of unique people giving birth in the U.S. and we want to be able to help all of them.
1: Totally. Totally. And there's, like I said, there's so many different ways to practice. Like there's some people that are more interested in um, addressing public policy and there's other people that are really interested in doing the in-home like one-on-one care, and then there's other people that are interested in doing um, more of like educational outreach and educational work for for birthers out there. And so there's, there's a need, there's a really wide variety of needs, and there's different ways that we can all address those needs utilizing this information.
0: That's awesome. So that application be, can be customizable for each person.
1: Yeah. I mean, our our presentation is kind of more structured for if you were going to be doing this work in somebody's home. But we like part of our goal setting and our um, our practical support for starting your practice um, classes are all about, like, what is it that really sparks your fire and how can we bring that forward?
0: That's beautiful. So you mentioned that you were also an Ayurvedic practitioner can you tell us a little bit about your journey to finding Ayurveda?
1: Yeah, so um, I initially got my bachelor's in nutrition, in clinical nutrition, and um, when I was in school, as I was learning nutrition, I just felt like there were so many pieces that were missing in the program that I was in. Um, I was at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and it was a it was a great program, but it was. Like the nutrition education at that point in time in 2007 is when I graduated. Um, It was based on the USDA food pyramid. And I felt like there were a lot of individualized pieces that were not being addressed. And so I knew that once I finished my bachelor's that I was going to be studying something else, but I didn't know what that was. And I spread a wide or cast a wide net, and I um, traveled to Southeast Asia. And while I was in Southeast Asia, I heard a couple lectures about Ayurveda, and I was like, "That makes so much sense! Like it's it's so practical, and it's so because it's based on like the laws of nature. It literally like makes sense that when you have something that has a lot of fire in it, and you bring it into your body, that that would increase like the heat in your body, right?" Mm-hmm. And so for me, just, just hearing that those simple, um, correlations made it so that I was, I knew that that was like the next step for me. And I, uh, attended the California college of Ayurveda and I went through their full program at the time and their body therapies training program. And then I worked at the school in the PK department and in the herb department, um, And then I got to study with Isha Oaks, studying Ayurvedic postpartum care, and I knew that that was really where my passion was, was working with moms and working with birthers. And so um, that's what started me down this this path of working with birthers. And then I've recently, in the last three years, I started studying Ayurveda on a deeper level at the um, IU Academy, which is... With a it's a distance program and it's with this woman Jessica Valela, who got her BAMS degree her Ayurvedic medical degree in India and so that program has given me access to the classical Ayurvedic texts which I hadn't had in my previous educational programs and so the, like the depth of what I'm learning in that program um, brings my my knowledge and my capacity to be able to find information in classical resources where it wasn't there before so. I love Ayurveda and I love that it can provide literally a whole different perspective on the world and on health and on healing. Um, and I love that I have the tools to be able to apply it for, for new families and hopefully to teach them so that they can carry those, that those little nuggets of wisdom into their daily lives as
0: well. That's beautiful. Cause I found that it's, it's not too complicated to apply those Ayurvedic principles,
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. They're, they're very common sense, right? Yeah.
0: So like when you're teaching or serving those young families, those new families is something they can take away with them and keep doing later on.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the hope, right? Cause it's like kind of like that saying that you can, you can, um, you can teach a man or no, you can give a man fish or something like that, <laughs> or you could teach him how to fish and then he has access to food for the rest of his life. I feel like the same thing is true with Ayurveda. It's like when I get to work with a family, I have the opportunity to provide them with some of this perspective so that they can then, even after I'm gone, they have that knowledge and wisdom to apply it to themselves directly. And then hopefully they can keep their family and themselves healthy for longer.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. As you're reading these original texts in your program, are you in it right now or you just finished it?
1: Um I'm actually in it for the second time so I'm retaking my program oh, again. That's cool.
0: So
1: yeah, which is awesome cuz I'm just learning learning a little bit deeper.
0: Are you reading those texts in another another language or are you reading them in English? So we read the transliterated form of the shlokas.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's like it's using English letters but they have like accent marks over them and then reading the translations. So like the English translations, mm-hmm. we're not reading the David Devanagari script. We're not quite at that level yet.
0: <laughs> How is that like giving you more insight, writing, reading it in that form?
1: Well, one of the things that's amazing about Sanskrit is um, there are many different meanings for one specific word. And so there's a contextual meaning for a word when it's in a, in a shloka or in like a line. And so um, oftentimes when you'll see like one translation of a shloka or of a line or of a section of like the Charaka Samhita, sometimes depending on the translator, depending on their perspective and also their grasp of the English language, the translation can be a little bit wacky or wonky. And so um, one of the things that... We do in my program is we look at multiple different classical texts. So we look at the Charaka Samhita, the um, Ashtanga Hridayam, and Sushruta Samhita, and the, the Bhava Prakasha um, classical texts. And we'll basically be looking between those four texts and seeing what each of the authors said. And then When we have the transliteration of the actual shloka itself, you can break it apart into the individual words. So we have a whole bunch, like over, um, I think it's almost over 1,500 um, words in our Sanskrit lexicon that we have to memorize throughout the program. And so we are starting to get a grasp of some of the words that are within a, a line or a shloka, and then we can contextualize it ourselves. So we don't necessarily have to rely solely on the translation, but we can start to begin the like basics of translation ourselves
0: that's pretty incredible Um, I mean translating is a whole thing in itself and then these texts are old so that's pretty incredible
1: totally yeah it's there's I mean we're definitely not (laughs) professional translators at this point in time that would take like years and years and years of study but having even just the basics like makes a world of difference for being able to understand what the original authors are trying to say
0: so, what are some of those takeaways that you could share with a new mom that that you've gotten from reading the text that way? Mm, that's such a good question.
1: Well, there's a couple things that we have to keep in mind when we're reading the classical texts. Um, one is that they're really old, like you said. Um, and so in some ways that's awesome. Like they're the 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 treatments and the things that they talk about have been observed and have been um like tried and the results have been observed um, for a long period of time. So that's pretty awesome, right? It's kind of like having a really long observational study of a uh, subpopulation. One of the challenges though, is that it is contextual to the Indian subcontinent. And so there's some things that just either um, culturally or even like ethnically don't apply to the world that we live in now. But a lot of the things like... Um, maintaining warmth around the mother, like they they talk about how the immediate postpartum um, things to do. Um, one of them is to bathe the to to anoint the mother with either ghee or with a medicated oil. So giving the mother a warm oil massage, and then giving her a nice warm bath, and keeping her nice and warm, and keeping the baby nice and warm. So there's some of the like actual physical. Um, recommendations that were done classically in India that now can be applied to postpartum birthers that will um, dramatically support their bodies in healing and reducing vata dosha. And, um, you know, after doing the bath, we would like apply a belly wrap to help support the womb and the, the postpartum birthers back. So there's like just um, really easy to apply um things to do for a postpartum birther um yeah i guess just the the overall general guidelines for ayurvedic postpartum care that are written about in the classics ultimately form the foundation for um for ayurvedic postpartum care whether that's in india or it's in the west but how learning having the capacity to discern and to be apply the principles appropriately to an environment that's different than India is where I think the skill and the knowledge base is really important as far as bringing that, um, like providing that education for postpartum caregivers.
0: Yeah, that's great because there's going to be some differences because the culture and the, the year are different, but those principles can still apply sometimes. Yeah.
1: Most of the time they can apply. Um, there are just a few like exceptions that are like kind of just culturally appropriate, mm-hmm. like Hindu rituals and stuff that are written about in the classical texts that won't apply to everybody.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned like your, that you were in Ayurvedic school and then you eventually studied, um, with postpartum care. What led to that, um, That focus on postpartum care?
1: Well, I always loved pregnant people um, growing up. And my mom is a veterinarian. And so I had the opportunity to see like a lot of animals be born and also to see like surgeries and a variety of other things that most people don't normally see um, when they're young. But from having that experience, I knew that I was like comfortable with blood and stuff body bodily fluids (laughs) and then when I started studying Ayurvedic medicine um, one of the assignments that we had was to write a research paper and I initially wanted to write a research paper on Ayurveda and birth and postpartum practices and so out of that my teacher at the time, Dr. Halpern, he put me in contact with Isha Oaks, who had the Center for Sacred Window Studies at the time. And she had been carrying on the tradition from the Maharishi Ayurveda folks, which is where she was initially trained. And so um, when I looked into what Ayurvedic postpartum care looked like, and when I spoke with Isha and got her, I got her ebook and I started reading it, um, I was just so floored because I felt like There was nothing like that in any of the social circles that I'd seen or any moms that I'd ever talked to, any birthers that I'd ever talked to. None of them had ever mentioned receiving this kind of care. And so for me, I just saw, like, it kind of made my heart, like, sad that it wasn't more commonplace and also excited that it was something that I could start to do more research on and potentially that it was somewhere that I could devote my energy and my time and my, my passion for like women's health and for pregnant people and for babies and the transformative experience of rites of passage as well.
0: That's wonderful. Did you, where was Yisha Oakes's training when you, when you did that? So I was really fortunate
1: and I got to um do her training in person. She actually came up to Grass Valley for 2 weeks and we did a 2 week intensive where we were with her for 8 hours each day. And we did like we talked about the philosophy and the theory behind it and we did some like food preparation and then we did the hands-on Abhyanga training and the infant massage training. And then following those two weeks, we had I had an internship that I did with her. So whenever I worked with a birther or a client, um, I would, you know, have an hour-long conversation with Isha to talk about what was happening for that person. And then she would give me kind of like a mentorship guidelines um, throughout the time that I was working with those clients. That's pretty uh, Isha incredible. Oakwood- yeah, it was it was awesome. I felt super fortunate because not everybody's had that opportunity or had that opportunity to study directly with Isha.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you got to work pretty closely with her. Yeah,
1: yeah. She was a really special woman.
0: What are some of the like nuggets that you took away from working so closely with her?
1: Well, I don't know if you've um I don't know if you've met Isha Oaks before she passed or not. No, I never did. No, But she was just an incredibly um, giving woman, like full of compassion and full of love. And the devotion that she had to to birthers and to honoring and supporting the sacred postpartum window and also honoring and supporting people who wanted to delve into this work was really profound and I, I think because she had such a giving heart, like part that was part of, um, part of her dharma in this world. And also I think she took on a lot. I think she like kind of created a system, um, with the school where it was kind of dependent upon her and a lot of her energy. And so, um, one of the things that I took away from observing Isha was how important it was to be able to set up a system that was sustainable for me as the caregiver. Um, And also when we started the, when we kind of took the school on um, Christine and Julia and Charlotte and myself, initially we had um, Suzanne Robiquet was the person that was kind of holding the school and then Christine took it over. And when Christine took it over, one of the things that we really wanted to emphasize was sustainability for everybody. So sustainability for Christine as the the, um, director of the school and sustainability for all of the teachers. And um, that's one of our kind of our founding principles as well, but it was, it was birthed from the bottomless (laughs) giving and Heart that Isha had, that ultimately kind of is our, is our is and continues to be our inspiration as we do this work in the world.
0: What are some of the ways that you carry out that sustainability? Well, one of the things, like right now, I've
1: I'm just starting to get back into work after having my son, um, who's now ten months old, and um, for me, especially right now. My focus, like my energy with this kind of work is on um, doing my teaching portion of the Center for Sacred Window Studies curriculum, but also um, when I'm working with a client, it's working as much as feels appropriate for me at the time, and right now that just means I'm only available one day a week for six hours, one day a week, and that gives me um, like I know that my son is going to be okay without me for those six hours, one day a week, but it's not too much time away from him for me. Um, and then I've also, in my community, I've taught like a series of classes um, because ultimately I think one of the ways that we can make Ayurvedic postpartum care really sustainable for Um, the caregivers is to bring in the community around the birth the birthers and so um, I have had a number of people that I've worked with where I've done like cooking classes for their community members and so they're having they're relying more on some of their community members or their family members to do some of the the cooking pieces or some of the other pieces to the postpartum care that I might not have the time or the space to do for all the people that want to have care.
0: I love that. Um, Teaching them how to cook foods that are going to support the mom.
1: Yeah, that's the best. And there's there's actually this book called um, The Seven Sisters. No, have you heard of that book? No, it's a, you, I would look into it. Um, it's written by this woman named Michelle Peterson, and she's based out of Sedona, Arizona. And she had um, utilized seven different women that she called her seven sisters who were like her support people. Like she had a Monday sister and a Tuesday sister and a, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, seven days a week, who would stop by for an hour or two hours a day. And they would, um, if she needed cooking done or she needed just the trash to be brought to the curb or whatever, you know, whatever needs to be done on that day, those seven sisters already were like committed to supporting her for the first 42 days of her postpartum time period And so, like, that was one of the things that for me was, like, so awesome to hear about and so inspiring um, to know there's something like that, like a structure that's kind of already been put together for helping to bring community in around birthers. Because one of the things that causes postpartum Mm -hmm. depression is a sense of isolation, right? And so, um, in addition to Vata Dosha being high and potentially Kapha Dosha being high. But the more that we can bring in our community, like, like having a village around us during our postpartum window. and Granted, it has to be people that are really healthy for us and that feed us Mm -hmm. instead of drain us of our energy. But having that community around us is so important for our well-being, and it's also really important for the well-being of the the little people that we're bringing
0: into the world. I love that so much. I mean, I just – we had a recent experience – we had a mom come into one of our yoga classes and she was still in her sacred window. And I was like, oh my gosh, we've got to do something for you. Um, And so I asked some of the other moms that come to the yoga classes, like, hey, do you guys want to bring her some food? And we all brought her some food and it was the most like loving, like atmosphere ever. We're like, oh my gosh, this is the way it should be, you know? Totally. That's so beautiful. That's awesome that you coordinated that. It was so wonderful, and, like, I I went into the other room to put some food in the freezer, and I came back in and overheard one of the moms exchanging phone numbers with this new mother, and she was like, you don't have to be alone anymore. Aww. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to cry. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard.
1: That's awesome. That's how it should be.
0: <laughs> yes, totally, totally. Can you, do you, as you are working with clients now and have in the past can you think of any like amazing experiences or miracles that you could share of like the power of Ayurveda in the postpartum
1: yeah well I would just say I've worked with I have I'm thinking of one specific mom in in particular that I worked with for um, all three of her babies she had three three sons and um, you know she there's no control because I got to work with her for all three of her babies postpartum, but, um, every single time that she got pregnant she would call me and she would be like, Hey, I'm pregnant and I need you to be there for me postpartum. Like I know how important it is. And, um, some of the conversations that I had with her, she had some like relationships challenges that were present for all of her, um, pregnancy and postpartums and a variety of other things were happening, um, with family and stuff like that. But, um, she said that she felt like receiving the massages and the body work, and having somebody there that was compassionate and provided a loving space, in addition to nourishing foods, made all the difference in the world for her. And um, yeah, I you know I think one of the biggest compliments that I received ever was from that mom, and she was like, I think that once my kids are older like I really want to do this work because I see how powerful it is in supporting women in this transformative time period so it's not a specific miracle but I feel like um, when women and birthers experience profound nourishment uh, it changes them and it shows them like, love on this level that most people in the United States and in the West hasn't received before, Um, even from our families because of, you know, family dynamics and what have you. So, yeah, that's super huge. Um, I've also... That is huge. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I've had a couple of other people that had, historically had um, just a lot of Vata vata excessive symptoms throughout their life like they had a history of constipation and anxiety and um, when they were receiving this kind of care they weren't constipated and that was like one of the first times that they hadn't been constipated since they could remember and so that to me I think is something also that speaks to the the qualities of the care that we provide and knowing which foods are appropriate for somebody when they are in this more delicate state during the postpartum window.
0: Yeah. That was one of the first things that Ayurveda really changed my life with was once I kind of started experimenting with food in an Ayurvedic way, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've been constipated for the last year of postpartum Mm -hmm. and now I'm not like and it was like an answer that I I couldn't find anywhere else. So like Ayurveda has some really incredible power in getting you all the way to thriving, versus like hanging out in this area of like not enjoying aspects of what your body is doing. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad that you've you've been able to receive the benefits as well.
0: Yeah. And that's pretty incredible that that mom was like, I'm, I have to do this for other, like other brothers, other mothers, like that shows how incredible and impactful it was.
1: Totally. Yeah. And she's amazing. Like, I think her personality, like she would be such an amazing Ayurvedic postpartum caregiver because she has such a beautiful big heart and she's experienced postpartum three different times. And she's moved through it and she's experienced the care and she knows like what it looks like to have that kind of um, attention to nourishment turned on to her. And you know, yeah, he that that did lot. she
0: was she familiar with Ayurveda before her first baby? No,
1: she was a forester.
0: She had she had never oh, heard really? of Ayurveda
1: before. Uh uh-uh. I just I actually had met her through um, I went to her childbirth class as a labor doula. I was like a student labor doula. And so I kind of just gave a spiel about like what Ayurvedic postpartum care is. And, um, she was like, I think that I want to hire you. And I was like, awesome. And so then it started this like really beautiful relationship, um, with her. And we're still friends.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you become a birth doula? Like where did you get trained and what led to that? Well, um, I actually, uh, my husband, when I first met him was an organic
1: farmer and one of, uh, <laughs> one year I ended up farming for the summer instead of doing Ayurvedic body work. And one of our fellow farmers got pregnant and she was like, I'd like for you to be my labor doula. And I was like, oh, I should probably learn something about that. And so I studied with this woman named Connie Sultana down in um, Sebastopol. And she was a donor certified um, labor doula instructor. And it was at a birth center down in Sebastopol. And so that was, that was in 2012, and I actually didn't attend my friend's birth, but I, my sister's birth was the first birth that I attended, so my my first niece. And ultimately, like part of it was I just wanted to get involved in the work, and I also have an interest or had an interest in becoming a midwife, and so I figured I should probably get some experience as a labor doula first before I maybe venture into midwifery. <laughs> That's a smart idea.
0: Make sure you like it <laughs> <Right>? first. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you kind of mentioned already, like, what the benefits of a postpartum doula is. Um, could you speak a little bit more to that of, like, the difference between an Ayurvedic postpartum doula or caregiver and, like, a dona, kappa, any other kind of postpartum caregiver? Yeah,
1: so I think just the uh, big difference is um, – the perspective that someone comes from that has the Ayurvedic postpartum caregiving or postpartum doula training c- comes from the lens of Ayurveda. And so it's looking at the, the whole person, um, the whole experience of the birther, but especially focusing on the birther's digestion and elimination and, um, that's kind of our foundational beginning and then cooking specific foods tailored to the birther's state of digestion and their elimination and also anything else that's happening, whether there's like other symptoms that are coming up or, um, or what their birth experience was like that impacts how the doshas present themselves. So I feel like, um, the cooking piece is a a pretty large piece of the difference between an Ayurvedic postpartum doula and a kind of, I'll say Western in quotations, um, postpartum doula, meaning someone that's trained in something, some postpartum care besides Ayurvedic postpartum care. (laughs) And, um, oftentimes I think there's like an emphasis on providing nourishing foods, but there's not really a strong sense of what that means and or it might be more of like a blanket term for what is considered like Western based nourishing foods, whereas from the Ayurvedic perspective, we're literally looking at how often somebody is hungry, how strong their hunger is, um, uh, what symptoms they may experience after they've eaten a meal, um, and then what happens to their elimination and then tailoring their food to that, to, to meet to meet um, and bring a state of harmony to the digestive system and to the elimination systems. So those are like two small things. And then within Ayurvedic postpartum care, also we emphasize doing either self massage or receiving Abhyanga or Ayurvedic oil massage for the birther. And then also teaching the birther and or their partner or family members how to do infant massage for their baby using oils as well. And that is not often taught within the normal Western um, postpartum doula training program either. But again, I think the biggest difference is having that Ayurvedic lens that the caregiver is perceiving the birther's experience through and then um, how they adjust according to what's happening for that specific birther on that specific day.
0: That's great. And I, I think like if I were much, much, like if I was a teenager and would hear like, oh, we're, we're going to look at her digestion. I'd be like, why? But then now that I've had a baby, I'm like, yeah, that's really important. (laughs) Cause it can get a little wonky after you have a baby. Yeah. It's super common. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which makes sense why in Ayurveda they've been doing it. They've been doing postpartum care that way for 5,000 years because it's really common. Totally, totally. And, you know, I'll speak to that just that typically when um, somebody
1: is pregnant and then they birth a baby, um, vata dosha gets elevated. The air and ether elements get elevated because there's a ton of fluid loss, a ton of um, blood loss. And there's this huge change in the body, like hormonal change and physical change. And then the space where the baby was once held in the womb. Um, where there was a lot of amniotic fluid and literally the, the earth and waters and fires of the baby are now not in the womb anymore. So there's like more space, literally more space in the womb itself. That that all increases ether and air elements or vata dosha. And when vata dosha is elevated, it can um, cause the digestive fires to be irregular. And when the digestive fires are irregular, food is not processed or digested properly. So someone might feel really heavy or lethargic, or they might have a lot of gas, or they might get constipated. And those are all indicators that vata dosha is, is elevated during that time. And so what we do as Ayurvedic postpartum caregivers is we gradually and gently stoke the digestive fire with foods that are appropriately spiced and that are, that are on the lighter side. Um, typically, we would start with something like a bone broth with black pepper in it, um, or we might start with a like a rice pudding that's made with a dark sugar to provide some iron with ample that's spices true. in it as well, and that's going to kickstart the digestive fire as well as yeah. providing some nourishing qualities for the birther. And then we gradually increase the complexity of the food over time so that the, birther, the birther's digestive fire can process the food. Whereas from, you know, oftentimes if women birth their babies or if birthers birth their babies in the hospital, they're given whatever hospital meal is like on the menu, which might be a hamburger or a Salisbury steak or some, you know, some really heavy, hard to digest food. And if their digestive fire is not super strong, it's just going to create like metabolic waste in the body or it's not going to be processed properly. So that's kind of where our perspective comes from with that slow, slow, building of the digestive fire, just like a campfire. You don't like start with really heavy oak logs. You start with like small tinder, and then you gradually add more complex and heavier woods to that campfire as it gets stronger. Same thing is true with our digestive fire.
0: And I love that because um, like you need that nourishment to get absorbed. Like if, if your digestive fire, like if, or if you want to be very Western, like your digestive enzymes aren't working mm-hmm in full force like you're not even going to get what you're eating and you really need that you have all of these huge changes going on in your body so you want to like stoke it like you said to get that digestion where you need it to be totally Mm -hmm. so that kind of speaks to how ayurveda can help moms physically um how can ayurveda applied in the postpartum period benefit moms mentally and emotionally?
1: Mm. Yeah, great question. So the doshas are like intricately linked with um, the gunas of the mind or the qualities of the mind. And there's three qualities of the mind, just like there are three doshas in the body. The qualities of the mind are rajas or motion, sattva or like purity, and tamas or um, inertia. And they correlate to the doshas. So Rajas correlates to Vata and Pitta. Sattva correlates to a healthy state of Kapha. And Tamas correlates to an unhealthy state of Kapha dosha. And so um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in our program is how to cultivate the essence, essentially, of sattva. And so that's both as a caregiver, but also especially for our clients. So how to cultivate this state of like equanimity, clarity, and purity, and not in like a puritanical type of way or a dogmatic type of way, but how can we create more peace and tranquility in a a space that's, that's fraught with a lot of transformation and change? And so one of the ways we do that is through food through providing food that's easy to digest and food that has a nourishing quality to it without being super heavy. So things that are really heavy are going to increase kapha dosha typically. And if kapha dosha gets into a state of excess or if the earth earth and water elements become in excess in the body, it's going to create this damp and muddy quality to the mind. So the more we can make sure that they are processing their food um, properly and that we're providing food that has the building blocks for, um, for creating that sense of well-being, that in and of itself will impact the mental and emotional state of the birther and of their, their family, the whole field. Um, but also, one of the other pieces, if somebody is doing in-home caregiving with Ayurvedic postpartum care, is we help to, to maintain the physical space. And so maintaining that sense of clarity and purity within the physical space impacts the mental-emotional fields as well. And then we also have some like more yogic-type um, tools to utilize with our clients, with the birthers and like we utilize really basic and simple pranayama. So even just like alternate nostril breathing or belly breathing can be really profound in helping to shift the mental, mental energies of the minds of our clients. Um, and our whole emphasis within the sacred window is to um, bring vata dosha back to a state of normal because it's again typically elevated during the postpartum time period and vata dosha has a lot of motion to it it has um, it's made up of the air and the ether elements so there's a lot of wind and mobility and so by providing stability for our clients um, in partly our presence but also in having meals at regular times throughout the day and having again the qualities of the meals be nourishing and supportive to the physical body and to breast milk production and to digestive fires while not being too um, heavy that helps to bring vata dosha down and then providing either the abhyanga the oil massage for the birther or having the birther do self-massage followed by a nice hot bath or shower that also helps to bring vata dosha down so it helps to bring down the motions of the minds motion of the mind and then again, doing um, belly wrapping for the birther also helps to bring the vata dosha back to a more normal state. And so all of the pieces, it's its the food and it's the attention to detail regarding the um, digestion elimination. Um, it's providing a space that's really clear and clean for, the, for our clients. Um, and it's also providing a warm heart and a listening ear so that's one of the other things that we really focus on is sometimes our greatest work in working with a family is being able to um just listen to our clients as they go through the process of this transformative experience um that in and of itself allows the birther to be heard and to be held if they need to be held or you know to To be received during this transformative time period. Um, Yeah, and then there's a lot of other things, like, you know, everyone practices in a different way. And so some of us utilize like small, like, ceremonial aspects or rite of passage aspects um, in our practices that also um, help to facilitate the mental, emotional, like, connection to their bodies. Um, and to their experiences as they move through the sacred window.
0: There are a lot of benefits mentally and emotionally, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, there's a lot of benefits to receiving care um, and to receiving love.
0: That was my next question, actually. So how can Ayurveda help a birther or mother postpartum spiritually? Well, I think, you know, we.
1: Spirituality is such a personal journey. um, But I think going through the rite of passage of birth, oftentimes, kind of breaks open this space that most people may have never experienced before where we are closer to the divine in whatever form you connect to you know where the veil between the earth and the heavens or the earth and whatever else is out there is way thinner than it normally is and that's part of the sacred window (laughs) that's my son um (laughs) and so i feel like um All of the ways that I just spoke about that support um, bringing and normalizing vata dosha back to its normal state for each person removes some of the turbulence that will um, distract a birther from the huge spiritual transformation that's occurring while the physical transformation is also occurring in their bodies. And... um, Yeah, I feel like, you know, just in having worked with a good number of birthers that being able to listen to a birther as they go through this experience, inevitably there's some aspect of like their spirituality um, that they become aware of or that they are um, well aware of during this, this sacred window of time. But again, the the more support they have around them, the less likely they are to be distracted by the kind of mundane things of the world during this time when they have access to this greater like spiritual depth.
0: That's great. And I like that you said that it's different for each person. So I, I just find that like, you know, spirituality might be connecting to yourself connecting to a higher power like you said I think that's beautiful
1: yeah I think it's important that we don't like put assign any specific spiritual meaning to anything in particular Mm -hmm. but during the sacred window it's really hard for there not to be any um connection to spirit in whatever form we connect to again because it's just like it's so like visceral so much more than any other time.
0: Definitely. So as an Ayurvedic postpartum caregiver, what do you wish all mothers, all birthers knew?
1: Ooh, I wish that they all knew that they, it is like a human right in my mind for all birthers to receive nourishing care postpartum. And I wish that they, that everyone knew that warm things are generally way better for them during the postpartum time period than cold things. So if they can eat soups and drink warm beverages throughout the day, that will um, be so much better for their digestive systems and for their whole bodies, and it'll make them feel better. And if they can keep themselves warm and their baby warm and um, provide their body with the nourishment in the form of oils, both externally and internally with their food, then that will also be super, super wonderful for them. I also wish, (laughs) there's a lot of things I wish. I also wish that um, every birther had access to this kind of care Mm -hmm. and that it was something that was normal. And I also um, wish that Every birther had a village around them to provide just mental, emotional, spiritual community support.
0: I love that. That's wonderful. And I, th- I have a lot of wishes. <laughs> they're all wonderful. <laughs> so I wind up working with a lot of moms in like a yoga setting that maybe didn't receive this kind of love and care. Directly postpartum in that first forty-two days, and oftentimes you know this vata dosha is very elevated, or they might feel overwhelmed. A number of things. What would you say to a mom like that that didn't get to experience that postpartum and is feeling overwhelmed after the fact?
1: I would say that you're still postpartum, and you can still receive this kind of care. And I would start simple, and so. Um, if somebody is in that state of overwhelm, the simpler that they can make their food and the rest of their life, the better. So, having really easy to digest, like soups that are warm and nourishing, and drinking warm beverages. And maybe even even if they're six months postpartum or seven months postpartum, doing a belly wrap and taking a nice warm hot water bottle and putting it over their womb and closing their eyes and putting their legs up for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, however, however long they have to <laughs> to relax, so that will do wonders. Um, all of the principles that are applied during the sacred window for postpartum can be applied at any time that vata is high or that there is a transition or a huge change or transformation that's occurring. So that that window has not passed just because 42 days have passed since they've had their baby.
0: I love that. I love that you brought up the other big changes. You can still come back to these principles like maybe you move or Mm -hmm. there's a job change or something that you can use this Mm -hmm. to feel more grounded.
1: Totally. And especially if a birther goes back to work at some point in time, it'll be really important to utilize these principles during that time as well, because that's a huge, huge shift for both them and for their babies.
0: That's beautiful. Well, do you have any last words for any mothers that are listening? Um, yeah, I just want
1: to say that birth is hugely transformative and women are super powerful and super strong and women are also super soft and women need women and birthers need nourishment um even like forevermore you're going to be a postpartum birther you know you'll never you can't undo a birth that's happened whether you know whatever. You can't undo a birth. And so you'll always be postpartum, even if it's 10 years postpartum or 15 years postpartum. And so providing yourself with the permission to receive nourishment and care when you need it is vital for us to keep doing our work in the world and for us to keep being the nurturers and the glue for our families.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, can you tell our listeners about how they can reach you?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I have a website that's www.lifenectar.org. And or you can find me through the Sacred Window website. Um, I also have an email address connected to the Sacred Window, which is Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E dot sacred window center at gmail.com and I am happy to field any questions and talk about postpartum and talk about birth and Ayurveda and all of the pieces to anybody who's interested
0: fantastic thank you so much
1: thank you Nicole
0: until next time this has been the here and now motherhood podcast